I thought you needed to hear it all again. I like the green gravy and the lean lettuce. What do you think about that, huh? We all need that money, right? You got money on you. I got some money on me here. What do you think? Does this make the world go round or not? Well, some of you say, well, if I had more of it, the world would go a little bit faster than it's going right now. We are in a series, Money, Sex, and Power. Sacred gifts or toxic idols. Sacred gifts or toxic idols. And last week we spoke on the idea of crazy generosity and, and I thought maybe I'd move on to the sex talk this week because all of you really want to come here for that. I know maybe that's why you showed up today. But uh, I think that's going to be now next week or however that plays its way out. Because God would not let me go on just that talk of last week. And the reason he wouldn't let it go is because he spoke to me personally this week about that subject of money. It does say in Matthew, the words of Jesus, 6.24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon, or money. And the reason God spoke to me about it is because there's something more going on with this subject than what I have probably given credence to through the course of my life. If I was to pull you into some of the file cabinets or boxes that I have, I would probably have a stack this high of material related to the subject of money, stewardship, possessions, after all, as we said, next to the kingdom of God, Jesus talked more about money and provisions than anything else. Over half the parables that Jesus gave had to do with possessions and money. And of course it's rightful for a pastor to lead a congregation in a, a fresh discussion of what it means to, to honor God with our money. But one place I've never gone is something that he worked on my heart this week with. As I was continuing to read and unpack, especially this idea that there's toxins in our culture, there's toxins in some of the idolatry that we put into things. You see, if I did a second talk on money, I really would prefer to speak on the subject of the sacred gifts and, and God's provisions and, and His prosperity that, that He can provide to you and He sustains our very existence. You all rode here today in some from nice vehicles. You're, you got good clothes on. You have good hygiene. At least we hope so. And, you know, there's a lot of great things going on that you can reflect and go back to say God's provision. We're not destitute in poverty here today. In fact, it's said that if you make $50,000 and you're a family of four people, do you know that you're in the top 10% of wage earners in the world? And if you make $75,000 or more, you're in the top 5%. Friends, that'd probably include most all of us in here. We are very blessed people. And so, yes, let's talk about God's sacred gift and His provision but the work in my heart this week pulled me back in a direction to deal with the toxic aspect of money still. Because when I look at scripture and the teachings of Jesus in particular, he gives a lot of warnings. 
And his warning just isn't, oh, here's a nice message or here's something you ought to think about. His warning had to do with something that was deeper. As we said, you know, the money, sex, and power are sort of the tips of the icebergs, but what's below the waterline? What's the jaded edges that can really destroy and mess you up? Because money itself, you know, you can pull out the greenbacks and, and the big Benjamins or the cheese or whatever was in that video, and you can say, oh, it's just money. It's, it's just a monetary kind of thing, right? It's a, it's a medium of exchange. We talked about that last week. But below the waterline are not only some sinful uglies concerning greed and covetousness and that kind of thing that are, are, can be a part of our sinful nature, but below the waterline or behind the scenes of money, especially in a Western materialistic culture that we live, that you were indoctrinated in since you were a little baby, stands power evil power and i in all my years have never really gone there but jesus appears to go there in his teachings he juxtaposes you cannot serve both god and mammon mammon is a bigger term um, money is more of a common term, but mammon has to do with provisions and, and other kinds of aspects that deal with, with monetary issues. And Jesus is saying that there is a power that stands behind something you can't serve. You don't serve greenbacks or the, the uh, lean lettuce, right? Or the green gravy. You're not serving that in and of itself you only serve an entity and money can have this power that's attached to the dark side of life and when he gives reference to things if you can't serve both god and money and some of the other things that that he unpacks and he goes forward with you get get the idea that maybe there's something more going on here sort of like what ephesians 6 12 says for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil that are in the heavenly realms. You see, what I came to a conviction about this week is, man, I want to stay away from that teaching on prosperity gospel. Some of you maybe come out of that background, but there is a teaching that is saying that if you love Jesus, you'll get rich. That's sort of the basic bottom line. If you love and serve Jesus, you're going to get rich. But what's wrong with that is it takes one truth aspect of God, of the Bible, that God blesses us with provisions and it makes it like the only truth without counterbalancing it to all the understanding. So, so you can go off on that direction of a prosperity gospel. And, and it's true, God can bless us as we lean into him. And a lot of what we have in this very room today is, is fully because of God's blessings. But there's people that are very wicked and hideous and, and, and evil that, that have a lot more wealth than any one of us. So how do you answer that one? So I want to stay clear from that prosperity gospel because, you know, that's, that's one um, type of um, air to fall into. And so I'm going to stay right here in the middle in the camp that money is a means of value 
and it doesn't really have any moral um, obligation necessarily or, or, or a, a moral tangible kind of aspect. It's just sort of neutral. And what I deem to do as a pastor is teach stewardship. Like, you know, all that we have, we need to steward well for God. And, and that's true. We could talk about the parable of, of the different talents. But, you know, to neglect this idea that behind money could be a power, an evil power, a spiritual, demonic power, is something that I would think, well, that's out here in another camp, and then you're really going off the, the, uh, the deep end in another way. But could it, could it be that there's something more going on with money? Could it be that it is an idol? Could it be that behind the idol is demonic activity? If we go below the surface and, and we lean into that becoming, you know, we're just trying to have enough to make ends mean, Carrie, don't beat us up today too much, that kind of thing, come on. But, but could Jesus be saying, be wise, be careful. You can't serve both God and mammon. Because there's power, there's entities behind that. I remember walking around in India, in India uh, as a young adult with a, a very well-known evangelist and, and all the Hindu gods. And it's just overwhelming when you think about the number of idols that people worship. And I, I asked the question, do you think it's just the idol, the statue, or the thing it symbolizes? Or, or do you think there's some spiritual warfare or some demonic activity behind that statue and he just adamantly said well of course Carrie there's going to be that power that's attached to that idol and so it's not the idol or the greenbacks themselves that has the toxins the toxins is the mindset and the spiritual activity that's behind it and so for me as a pastor to just say, hey, I'm going to stay clear from the prosperity gospel. Let's stay in the camp of stewardship. Let's all be wise and steward well. God's given to us. You know, let's step in and be faithful of our giving to God and those type of things. I would be shortchanging, I believe, what God's asking me to bring to us today briefly. And that is there's power, bad, evil power that can be behind the pursuit of money, materialism, and provision. Be wise. Be careful. Be forewarned. Jesus talked adamantly about the powers and the entities that can be attached to mammon. You can go through all kinds of scriptures, not just the one that says, don't serve God and mammon. But he gives warnings time and again, and I won't go through those today. Thomas Merton, a Catholic author, he says this, money has demonically usurped the role in modern society which the Holy Spirit is to have in the church. And it was this quote that helped lead me the direction I am today. Because I'm just like you. I wish I had more. 
I wish I could not just make more ends meet, but I wish we could do things that <clears throat> we can't do because there's a lack of resources in my mind, both on a family front, on a church front. And I start leaning. I start leaning in the direction of thinking that it's more and more money that would solve the problems. And I begin to lean in a direction of trusting that provision, however it comes, rather than trusting the Holy Spirit. And so I've done this exchange. I've replaced it. Maybe you have too. And we don't even think about it. We'll get up tomorrow morning. We'll go to work. We'll go about our business. We'll make ends meet. We'll be responsible on the domestic front, on other kinds of fronts. But, but deep inside, maybe there's been a movement away from trusting God and the Holy Spirit every day with our life. And we're really trusting on other things. Like, what if I lost that? Oh, God, you wouldn't ask me to give up that. Or, or what if this happened to me? I, and we have fear that comes in. Because when you're attached to something and that something begins to be removed or shakable, then fear starts to set its way in because we've given it omnipotence. We've given it power. Another example of the way maybe it's an idol. Oh, we don't worship it and pray down to it, that kind of thing. But in our spirit, there's a shift of trust. And so our trust isn't focused on the Holy Spirit as much as its trust is focused on having it all. And so we pursue that, thinking that that's the realm that happiness is, is going to come by. Could I have replaced it? And, and, and we said that one of our primary texts for the series has to do that uh, they exchange the truth of a God for a lie, it says in Romans 1. And they, they exchanged God, the worship of God, for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals. And, and, and here's, here's the bottom line. God is grieved that we've exchanged our trust in Him with our trust in other things. And so that's why Jesus says, be careful. Be careful. If Jesus says, be careful, then we need to be careful now. I've simply entitled today the double, double-sided money. You see, if you took out your money, you, you know that there's two sides to it uh, readily. So if you, you, if you only had money that had, had an uh, image on the front and there wasn't anything on the back, then it wouldn't be any good, right? So we understand double-sided money that way, but that's not what I'm talking about today. What I'm talking about today is that there is a dark, evil side to money. And that there is a light side to money, God's light. And that we need to live on the right side of money. Sometimes I talk about living on the right side of interest. You know what that means, right? It's like if you're in debt, you got credit card debt, other kinds of debt, installment debt, and that percentage, that interest rate's pretty high. You just keep paying, you keep paying because you're paying interest, right? Your house, keep paying, right? And so interest is working against you. You're on the wrong side of money. But if you're saving and you're getting interest from that or making investments or whatever it may be, then you're on the right side of interest. And then before you know it, there's, there's this accumulation 
accumulation, the, the snowballing kind of effect. So you want to move away from the wrong side of interest to get to the right side of interest. That's why we try to pay down debt. We try to save, right? Well, when it comes to this double-sided money aspect, you need to get away from the dark side of money, and you need to move to the light side of money. And I'll simply define it this way. The dark side of money steals our relationship with God. It feeds the evil of greed and covetousness and places fear in the human heart. And this idea that there's powers behind it, some of you know that I have had quite a journey in spiritual warfare and, and dealing with the spiritual realm, the spirit realm and other things and, and praying with people and seeing God bring freedom and power and setting them free as surely as disciples did. And that's something for all Christians as we pray over people because there's an adversary that's at work. But I really haven't gone there too much to think about the, the demons of greed and covetousness and materialism and fear that are attached not to the money themselves or to your bank accounts or to your investment accounts, but it's attached to this mindset that it's the money that's going to be where I need to place my trust. And that is spiritual warfare. That is the dark side. And it will steal our relationship with God because we're not trusting with him. It will feed an evil of greed and other things that they're just decadent. Arrogance and pride are along with that. And it's just going to put fear in the human heart. How many times do you, do you see that when it's, it's on the news or something like, oh my gosh, the stock market just bottomed out today. Oh, or, oh I need to make some reinvestment changes there. Or, oh, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I can't afford this. Uh, that our minds, we live in this culture, we're in the fish tank of uh, material, provisional things. And that's part of life. And Jesus has given to that and he teaches us from it. But there's this dark side to it that can pull us, an undertow, pull us out. To see the light side of money though enriches our relationship with christ there's so many beautiful encouraging exciting things that that god can can see happen with the resources that he gives us for our own namesake and for the namesake of others if we can forward god's kingdom's work and it blesses the lives of others that's the light side so let's live on the light side of money let's stay away from the dark side of money and let's be realistic that this is an issue for all of us. I want to mention three stories, three encounters of Jesus today. These three encounters are found in your scriptures. They're familiar to some of us. The first is the encounter of the rich young ruler. It's found in all three synoptic gospels, but in Matthew 19, verse 16, it's recorded this way. In Matthew 19, verse 16, just then a man came up to Jesus. Real life story here, okay? This is not a parable. This is an encounter of Jesus. Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbors yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor. 
and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly, truly, I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and they asked, oh, Well, then who can be saved? When the disciples acknowledged this, Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. That day is no different than today. The disciples had bought into the lie that someone who is wealthy and blessed is living the good life. And it's a direct result of being faithful to God. It's just like Job. Remember when Job lost everything in the Old Testament? The friends of Job, what'd they do? Oh, then there must be something wrong in your life. You've been sinning. You would have been away from God. That's why you lost everything. And the disciples are here. It's like, well, then who can be saved? Look at this guy. And guys, we got to take this young ruler really at his word. He, he came to Jesus, so he knew that there was a need in his life. And, and Jesus told him, oh, if you want to have eternal life, I mean, you need to obey the, the Ten Commandments. And so he lists a few of the Ten Commandments. And the young ruler was like, I've been doing that. I'm good. Now, you know, maybe he was being facetious and, and lying or whatever. But we take it at face value that this man was not only rich, this man was also highly moral. But as a highly rich and moral man, he still knew something was lacking in his life. So he came to Jesus. And Jesus looks at him, says those Ten Commandments, and then Jesus pulls out from nowhere this new commandment for this particular individual, which tells him, what? That he needed to go and sell all of his possessions and give to the poor. What? Now, Jesus didn't say that in other places. We'll look at Zacchaeus in a second. He only had him, you know, gave away half of it kind of thing. It's like, well, why did he do this? Well, if you read in another one of the synoptic gospels, the same story, it says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus looked through the heart of this young man. Rich, moral, Go in the right direction, seemingly. And he saw in the heart of man, of this young man, an idol. It was toxic. It was the dark side of money. And so he put it to him that you need to sell it all. Why? Because you can't worship both God and mammon. You can't worship both Jesus and money. If you're going to worship me and be in my eternal heaven, then you can't be carrying idols with you. He didn't know that it was an idol. 
he thought he was doing quite well and seeking God. And here he even came to Jesus to ask him a sincere question. But Jesus looked at him and loved him because he saw through his heart. And he says, there is something wrong here. And it has to do with consuming and acquiring and embracing money. Go sell and give to the poor. And then come follow me. The young man dropped his head. It said he was sad, but that's probably a weak word there. It actually means that he, he grieved. He grieved because I can't do that, Jesus. And then the disciples are watching this. They're going, whoa, whoa, that's heavy. But he was teaching them as well. That's why I said it's hard for a rich man to go through the eye of a needle. And sometimes that's given a different reference of, oh, you know, there's these big doors and there's a small door and the camel couldn't get through the small door into these big buildings. No, Jesus really meant it's hard for a rich man to come into the kingdom because you can't stick a camel through the eye of a needle. So in one sense, feel blessed today if you don't feel rich. But as I mentioned... According to all the world's wealth and income, we are all rich. And could it be that the toxins of this idol, the dark side of the money, we have an attachment to it. What is it if Jesus came to you and said, let this go, that you would drop your head and you'd walk the other direction? Please. If there's something there, then there may be something behind it here. And there's that attachment where the demon says, I still got them. And so when it comes down to this issue of being able to give away, maybe it's not so much because, oh, because God needs your money, or the church needs your money, or someone who's even poor needs your money. Another ministry. Maybe you need to let go because there's this attachment and it's taking you away from an intimacy with the Lord. My father used to encourage me, and he came to know Jesus out of the household that didn't raise him to love Jesus. And he would say to me sometimes, Carrie, where has the warning message gone in the church? And I can give a nice talk on money and stewardship, and we can move on to some more interesting kind of subjects in the week ahead. But I just had to pause today, pull out the story of the rich young ruler and say, is it true that there's something more that meets the eye, a power encounter that's going on? Truly, I tell you, Jesus may say to you, it's hard for someone who is rich in America to enter the kingdom of heaven. The second story has to do with the widow and the coin. You know this story? I <laughs> the word meddling, I mentioned it last week, just keeps coming to me on this talk about buddy and stewardship. is like, Pastor, you're meddling. Don't be meddling in my life. There are a lot of things we can talk about. We appreciate remembering the blood, shed blood of Christ and the cross and nice worship songs. And we got lunch coming afterwards, but don't be meddling in my life. You can talk about a lot of things in my life, but don't you be talking about my money. 
That's meddling. And I, th- I think in terms of this, this meddling aspect, but <laughs> you guys wouldn't like Jesus because he was meddling all the time. He meddled in that rich young ruler's life. He knew. He looked into his heart. He loved him. And he said, you got attachments here that are they're destroying you. He says, give it up. And then he's sitting in the temple. He's sitting in the temple in Mark. Mark uh, chapter 12, um, verse 41. It was just a real quick kind of thing that's, that's mentioned here. Mark 12, 41. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put in and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Is that meddling? That's like Jesus sitting right beside you today when the offering baskets are passed at the end and going, what you going to do? What you going to do? That's it? Really? Looks like there's a lot more in that wall. You know, hey, that number they just gave you up there on the screen, you could set up something and you could just give, give, and give. What you doing? He's meddling here in church at the temple with his buddies. Many rich people threw in large amounts. I don't know if you know the, the background of the story. They, they would have these, uh, these horns that were made of metal. Uh, if you ever, you know, sometimes you go to those, uh, I don't know, I don't know, Chuck E. Cheese or those kinds of places. You know, you put the quarter in, it goes around and around and around. And then it finally drops down. And you go, oh, look at all that money there. And so your kid says, can I have another quarter? You go around and around. Well, it was sort of that kind of thing. And so that's why you were just watching people. You could hear the clanks, right? And somebody would come along and clank, 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 going down. And here comes a poor widow lady. Many rich people threw in large amounts, made a lot of noise. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling the disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything, all that she had. She put in everything, all that he had. I look forward to meeting this poor lady someday on the other side. See, it's not the amount, it's the sacrifice. We all get caught up on the amount. Oh, I don't know, they gave us big money. He wasn't impressed by all the clanging coins of the rich, wealthy people. But he saw the heart of this poor widow. He says, she's got it. She worships God. She does not worship what she has. She doesn't trust in wealth. She's trusting in God. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything that she had to live on. Jesus, he took note. Sometimes I wonder, did Jesus go up to her afterwards and say, hey, that was, that was pretty big of you, man, your big heart. No. He probably just stayed at a distance. He knew her heart. But he used it to teach his disciples. Once again, another story, Jesus meddling about money. But it wasn't money itself. It's the idol and the toxins that are behind that. Because it'll take you in a dark direction. The adversary, Satan, will pull you in a direction that's not healthy, ultimately. 
oh, it may have its fun and its thrills, and, and you got the rides and the experiences, and, and you got the bank accounts, investment accounts, and that gives you security. But in the end, it will not suffice. I think it was Henry Ford that was once asked after he had made all of his money if he was happy. And he says, you know, I was happiest when I was just working on the line because wealth has its responsibilities and it has its attachments, the dark side of money. The third story is Zacchaeus, the tax collector. And in the story of Zacchaeus, it's real simple. You know it, Jesus, in chapter 19 of Luke, entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed the sycamore tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. I got to see Jesus. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to Zacchaeus, Come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, <coughs> He is gone to be with a guest of a sinner, a tax collector, the lowest of all. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. He didn't give everything. Jesus didn't call him out and go, hey, you need to do more than that. Jesus knew where his heart was at on him. Jesus knows the hearts of each of us. And so he's going to come and prompt on each of our hearts. Uh, Jesus, you know, isn't it interesting that he didn't go after that rich young ruler and go, I, I was just sort of kidding. I, I meant you need to be willing to give everything to the poor. But really, if you just tithe to the church, you're good. No. He wasn't after the money. It was after the heart. Who said last week in Scripture, where your treasure is, there our heart is also. They're attached, right? And so here with Zacchaeus, for whatever reason, he gave half, and he gave back four times anybody that maybe he wrongfully took from as a tax collector. And then Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham, for the man, son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Friends, you need to understand this. When Scripture says a son of Abraham or a child of Abraham, or as it says here, even more than that, salvation's come to this house. That means Zacchaeus was saved in that moment. Zacchaeus was saved in that moment because he walked away from the idol, the dark side of material things, and he turned to the light side of money and God's blessings and provisions to be able to do his work. And Jesus said, something's happened in the heart. There's regeneration. There's change. He who was spiritually dead is now alive. Zacchaeus didn't walk away grieved. The rich young ruler, he walked away grieved because he was not saved. He did not have the change, the transformation. Jesus spotted the widow with her two coins. He saw that she was a true worshiper of God. If Jesus is meddling and looking at your life and my life today as it relates to this, is there blessing because you've let go of the attachment of money and the demons and the power behind it.
and you've learned afresh to trust in God and God alone. So all three of these stories, they're not parables, as I mentioned. They're real life stories. And Jesus meddled in their money issues because their money issues reflected heart issues. And the heart is torn between worshiping God and images made to look like fill in the blank. I just want to give simple exhortation as we close. The keys to staying on the light side rather than the dark side of money, I want to give you three that have helped me. The first is a vision of eternity. I'm sorry if I keep bringing up sometimes my family, but God gifted me a great heritage in my family. And there was a little of heaviness yesterday. We had a couple of prayer experiences for rooted groups, and they were good. But it was two years ago yesterday that my mother passed away. And I'm mindful that life is brief. God has put eternity in our hearts. I can't, she's been gone for two years. We spend so much of our energies living for the temporary rather than living for the eternal. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy the teaching of Jesus. Do you have a clear vision of eternity? Are you trying to squeeze everything out of the turnip to get all of life in this present day? A vision of eternity is critical. Spend time asking God to open up the heavens and the eternal understanding to you. The one who came from the eternal heavens, walked here for 33 years, gave up his life on a cross as we remembered today. He understood that all these humans clutching to their possessions would soon be seen for what it is an idol. The second thing is to live a life of simplicity. This one's hard for me. How about you? The next biggest, better thing. I, I couldn't believe it happened to me this week, but uh, I, I was driving my car down Clinton Keith, down the big you know, hill, back up, coming to church from French Valley where I live, and, and my car has had a lot of problems. My family would say, yes, we keep telling you, get a new car, Carrie, get a new car. And I just said to myself, wow, it's been so nice that this car hasn't broken down for so long. <laughs> Literally within a minute, my engine light goes on, the power is cut back, and I hardly make it here to church. I call my mechanic, Mike Smith, some of you know him. I said, Mike, I'm sorry. I need you to work on my enclave again. I somehow stopped three different times for it to cool off, got it there. It's got, another, I got, it's got a, a, a water pump out of it again. Part of me goes, yeah, I'm going to go get a new car. Put that thing on installment payments, do things, I can get it made. God says, you standing up seeking on money and that rich young ruler and everything on Sunday morning? You going to trust me that car going to keep running? I just put 2000 in a couple months ago. Now I can put that in. Pete, 
so for me, and I told you last week that some things, it's not easy. I mean, some things, I, I, I have no problem in just buying, like, books and that kind of things. But some things, I'm like, okay, God, it's this front and center here again. Teach me, do I just need to leave with this car? Now, if you're going out to buy a new car today, God bless you. I trust you. Enjoy it. It's great. You got your own journey with Jesus, all right? I got my own journey with Jesus. We each have our own journey with Jesus, where it's cars or clothing or furnishings or house. I don't know. But I want Jesus to speak to me. And Jesus is saying, Carrie, stay in the lane of simplicity. That's enough on that one. <laughs> but the third one is this heart of generosity. You ever heard the do right, feel good habit? I don't feel like working out, so I never work out. That is true. <laughs> but when you do work out, you feel good. You feel like that was the right thing to do. When it comes to generosity and giving to God, I don't know that you'll ever feel. You do right. You be generous. God will honor it. Doesn't mean you're going to get rich monetarily. But you will have riches in Christ and your intimacy with him and following him and choosing not to follow the idols and the toxins and the demons behind it, but choosing to trust God and follow him. Here, first fruits, my offering. Scripture teaches that the tithe is the first fruits, the 10%. Jesus never knocked the tithe, but he always seemed to go beyond the tithe because he was seeing through the hearts of people. And whether it's the tithe or something else in your heart today, if Jesus looked at you and loved you, what would he tell you to do? Maybe not sell everything and give to the poor. Or half the provisions like Zacchaeus did. But he's going to tell you something. And I want to challenge you as we close to have a vision of eternity, to live a life of simplicity, and to have a heart of generosity. Last week we gave you the opportunity. I'm going to give it to you again this week, and I'm not going to come back to it. But in your seat backs is a piece of paper and on this paper, it just simply says, Generosity Challenge. With a heart of generosity, I commit my tithes to God and His work through the local church for the next 90 days or the remainder of 2021. The tithe is the first 10% of any total income. This is my faith commitment between God and me alone. No one's going to hold you accountable to it. It's not going to be posted on a billboard. But I invite you to take that, fill it out, and take one crazy step of tithing for the next three months. Because as it says in Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse where God is. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. And now I'm going to create an awkward moment for you. I want you to grab that piece of paper in front of you and I want you to hold it up. Will you do that? And I'm not doing a gamemanship thing here. But you're holding it up not before me or before others, but before the Lord. It's not the piece of paper. It's not the tithe itself. It's this idea that you would trust God just for three months, by giving the first 
10%, which is the historical biblical standard for giving. Test him in this and see what God may do. The do right, feel good habit. You can put him down. If you feel led this morning, I challenge you in defiance of Satan and the power that stands behind mammon to say, in your face, and I have to say that to Satan sometimes, I will trust the Lord beginning with my tithe. If you tithe, maybe it's something else that God's saying to you. If you're saying, Carrie, I don't know that I can do the tithe, but I'm willing to take it home and pray about it, then take it home and pray about it. They'll be there for the rest of the month. If you want to turn one in, and the reason we have you fill it out and sign in and turn it in is just that, that extra step that says, I'm in and I'm acknowledging before you, God, that I'm willing to take this step. The Lord's spoken to me about the same. Gary, you've been comfortable in what you're giving to me and to the church. Maybe you need to up the ante a bit. What? I'll preach on it, but do I have to do it? Yeah, Gary. Because there's this dark side of money that has this tendency to consume your thoughts and your passions and some of your fears that are inbred in it. And I need you to reestablish John's first to this. And so in my own life, God's wrestling, and I'll be talking with my wife about it, that there is a, another step in my giving to God as a result of saying it's a sacred gift, it's not a toxic idol. Will you pray with me, Jesus? I ask across this room, there is a holy work going on here today. You are encountering, you are meeting with people, and Lord, whether it's this simple generosity challenge or if it's something else that's maybe even much larger or some other kind of step that helps them move into the fear and trust you, then God, Jesus, may you speak, not me. May you take this message and the words of these encounters that you had and encounter our life so that we can be drawn to you and know the riches of a relationship with you. And may we find in these coming days and months a new sense of freedom and joy in an area that seems to entangle us every week. So Lord, bless those who are taking that step. Lean into the hearts of those that you're giving some other kind of challenge to. But Lord, may we be faithful to your word and your voice today. In your name, amen. I'm going to ask the ushers to come to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings and your commitment cards uh, for this challenge, if you feel so led. But I want to continue to encourage us in this series to ask God what he would have us to do in all these areas. I have mentioned that um, we have um, a lot of these cards to pass out. You were given a second card today on this trunk or treat thing. I want to say about something like that in a second. But ushers, just come and, and we'll receive the Lord's tithes and offerings and, and your connect cards and, and your uh, generosity challenges. And um, I want you to continue to be active. It's good to see a good group here today. Just continue to be active because this isn't about getting people to church. This is about getting people to Jesus. And sometimes you get people to Jesus by building a relationship with them and inviting them to come around interactions that can help them know more about Jesus. And so invite people. 
have those big postcards in your back pocket and, and take them and offer them to someone that, that you might think, oh, it's, it's really weird of you to give me uh, this invite card, right? And, and here's the good thing, heading into next week with your invite cards, and, and you can do social media. This idea that we're talking about money, sex, and power, sacred gifts, or toxic idols, guess what's going to happen next week? The church, and Pastor Carrie's going to talk about sex. If you can't get your friend to come to church when we're talking about sex, they'll never come. Just invite your friends. See what God does. We're going to step into God's heart and his understanding because he created sex and sensuality and we're sexual beings. What's in his plan and in his heart for that? So that's what's coming next week. The other is your little your orange card there. I think maybe, Don, is there a sign-up sheet out back for the cars or, or just right at the back? We need a lot of cars for trunk or treat. You may think, I'm not going to dress up like that. And we'll say, oh, yes, you are, because we're all one big family. I do it. I was Fred Flintstone last year. I was a grill the year before. I don't know what my wife will have for me this year. But you come, bring your car. Let's reach the community. Will you stand? God, as we go out today, may you bless us. May you keep us from the dark side of money. And may you endow us with an understanding and a lifestyle on the light side of money. Lord, may we take all that you've given to us, steward it well, and may you be honored and blessed and your kingdom go forward on earth as it is in heaven. See you next week. Amen.